Hi, I'm Elissa Nicole Trust, an actor and writer living in New York City. Hey, I'm Lauren Schaffel, an actress and producer also living in New York City. And, and we, we are Positive, Positive Creativity, Creativity Podcast. Positive Creativity is a podcast where we speak with writers, directors, and other artists about what they're working on, what's inspiring them, and how they stay positive in this industry. We are looking to shed light on all of the wonderful projects happening in New York and beyond. Our goal is to give creative artists a platform to talk about their work and to give theater and film lovers the opportunity to learn about more creatives and projects. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you with support from Ahava Theater Company. Heather Shields is an award-winning producer and theater manager. She received degrees at the University of Richmond and her master's from Columbia University. Her Broadway and off-Broadway credits include Bandstand, A Christmas Carol, and Puffs. Heather serves as the general manager of Batsu NYC and Batsu Chicago. In 2019, Heather co-founded the business of Broadway. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Yay. We're so excited to have you with us. Um, and we, we'd like to start with this larger question. So feel free. This can be anything and everything. But what is currently inspiring you? Oh, wow. Well, um, I have had the great privilege lately of working and speaking on a couple of panels with some really inspirational producers who, to use a phrase that in the past couple of days has been uh, a very uh, popular thing to say, um, but I find them, they're truly like visionaries in terms of what's coming next in the theater industry. So having the opportunity to kind of break out of my own silo, um, which is part of what happens in the theater industry. You know, you're working on your projects and the people that are working on those projects with you, you're very close with, but the other things that are happening off to the side, you know, like you might be aware of them, but you're not necessarily working with those people on a daily basis or weekly basis. Uh, and because of this move to digital, this move, this move to remote and the opportunities it's allowed. And it really has offered a lot of opportunities. I've had the great privilege of getting to work with people whose work I've admired for years for with people whose work I didn't know about for years. And now I'm just so grateful to, to be able to. So, um, you know, there's been, um, uh, there's an organization specifically called the industry standard group that we joke, I've been on like four panels with Cynthia Tong uh, for the past couple of weeks. Um, and I'm just incredibly inspired by her. I'm incredibly inspired by the work that all of uh, all of these amazing producers are doing within that organization specifically. There are others, of course. Uh, that's just the one that comes top of mind, though. Cool. Awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm, they're incredible. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Industry Standard Group? Oh, gosh, I hope I do it justice. Um, so the Industry Standard Group, uh, I believe that there are eight founders of it. Um, uh, I, I was very close uh, with one of the founders, Sammy Lopez, and I have worked together quite a bit over the years. And um, they were founded to uh, sort of, so in theater, <laughs> I said, I, I hope I speak eloquently about this. In theater, the investor pool is incredibly small. And that is both because of um, a lack of knowledge for all types of investors that it is something available for people to do. But but then then there's then there's the actual like federal regulation that comes in and impacts who is allowed to invest. And that um, is called an accredited investor. And there are regulations and limits that the SEC um, that the SEC stipulates. Now, what the industry standard group is is doing is they're not only trying to create a fund that will be BIPOC funded um, with BIPOC investors and fund BIPOC-led projects, but they're also, um, and they're really working within the the rules of the SEC right now so that people can, who maybe perhaps were not, accredited, are not accredited investors can still invest in this fund 
and have an equity stake in uh, in commercial theater. Um, but they're also looking to educate as well. And that's, um, and that's where we over, I, I've been finding myself overlapping with them. And the reason that I've been so generously invited to be on some panels with a few folks from that organization. So, uh, I've been incredibly inspired by them because they are, they are very clear eyed on what the problems within our industry are. Uh, but they're also very clear eyed on the the tools that are available uh, by which we can make real impactful change today. Uh, and I, that's very much how I work as much as I would love to be the kind of person that says, burn it all down. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, I don't recognize that as a possibility at the moment. And the industry industry standard group are the kind of people that I've been incredibly inspired by in terms of saying like, okay, we can't burn it all down. How do we work within it to flip the structure, to flip the narrative and empower BIPOC producers and investors for today and for the future? And so uh, I just think that they're wonderful. Oh, amazing. That's so exciting and so so inspiring to hear that that work is being done. I feel like there's been a lot of talk throughout the last year and especially in the middle of this pandemic, like that we do need to see change in our industry, but to actually see actionable steps in a group that's making that impactful change is, is very heartening to hear because there can be a lot of talk, right? But without the, the steps going forward and the action, it's kind of what's the point? That's right. Yeah. I, I feel a little bit guilty that I don't have all of their names at the top of mind. I know Sammy Lopez, S Cynthia Tong, Miranda Goh, Rashad V. Chambers, Rob Lackey. Um, I are, are several of the members. There are others. I just top of mind. I don't have them memorized, frankly. Uh, and um, so I encourage anyone who's listening to go and check them out because they're just doing they're doing really great work. Yeah, we'll link them in the show notes for sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So taking it back a bit, um, <laughs> we would just love to hear your story and how you got into producing specifically for Broadway. Yeah. So thank you for asking that. It's funny. We kind of, we kind of <laughs> went into this a little bit backwards. Um, so hi everyone. My name is Heather Shields. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a theater producer and general manager. And, um, in, so I moved, I wasn't, I'll start with, I'll start with undergrad. I was pre-law. I studied music. I had every intention of going to law school and the story that most people have of their parents being like, please don't try to be an, like, please just go, go to law school and make a real career. Um, my parents were like, please don't go straight to law school, take a year, move to New York city and, um, and try to do, try to live that life. Well, um, I'm so grateful that they did one year turned into the rest of my life. Of course, <laughs> after, um, I immediately in retrospect, immediately I hated the audition circuit. I hated the cattle calls. I never went. I probably could count on, on both hands the number of auditions I went to over four years. And um, But what I was finding was that I was starting to make my own. I was working with people who inspired me and I was producing without realizing that I was producing. And it's, it's actually kind of funny because I, I, so many producers, uh, especially I think of our generation, uh, have a similar story of just like recognizing one day, oh, I'm doing the work of producing. I didn't know that was something that I could do. And especially without a checkbook behind me. Um, so in early 2011, I just kind of, I, I was, I was feeling like I was in a rut, but I was doing this work and it was really meaningful to me. So I Googled, um, uh, arts, law, business, New York City, because I didn't want to leave New York City. Um, and I, I saw a program at Columbia for arts administration. And at the time, I really pictured myself going into nonprofit theater management. And um, that's a, it's an amazing program at Columbia. The deadline to apply was in six weeks. So I was like, let me just apply. I'll, I'll take the GREs real quick. I'll apply and I won't get in, but at least I'll have everything together for the next time. 
And by the grace of God, uh, they let me in. Wow. And so my life just kind of like flipped upside down. I very quickly, once I was in the program, which was an amazing program, by the way, uh, I very quickly realized, you know what I do? I want to, I want to work in commercial theater. I want to work on Broadway. And, um, the great thing about the program that I was in was that it was very much a choose your own adventure. There were definitely core curricula, curricula, curricula that you had to partake in, but you could do what you wanted with, um, with your education. So I took about a third of my classes at, at Columbia Business School amongst the Columbia MBAs. I took about a quarter of my classes with uh, Columbia law professors. Uh, and so I was really able to craft out something that was going to serve me, whether I was going in nonprofit or commercial. And I ended up writing my thesis on the collaboration between the two. And the truth is, and I tell people this all the time, is that the interaction between nonprofit theater making and commercial theater making, um, especially when you're coming from the commercial side, is is constant. You have to understand how nonprofits work uh, and you have to understand how they produce and how they function. Uh, and so it's incredibly important. And then on the other side of that, fundraising for the for theater, I I feel is the same whether you are having somebody write a charitable donation to an organization, or you are asking them to invest in a show. Fundamentally, you're asking somebody to invest in the art, in the vision, and whether or not it is a tax write-off or they're receiving a K-1 at the end of the year is really just something for the accountants to work out. And, um, and so I got an internship in a Broadway producing office. I started working at that Broadway producing office after I graduated. Uh, I decided, you know what, I don't, I don't, I didn't see a path for me working in, in offices in that capacity. And so I left and I just started saying yes to every opportunity. I produced my first show at the NIMF Festival, the New York Musical Theater Festival, which is sadly now non-existent. I ran the Astoria Performing Arts Center uh, for, um, uh, as their interim executive director for a little while. Uh, I started working at another Broadway producing office as well in a part-time capacity. And, um, so just saying yes, I was incredibly privileged to be able to say yes to so many opportunities in that time, both because of where I was in my life and because, um, of the, the structure that I had, um, to lean back on. I wasn't, I, when I think of the word privilege, I think of, the fact that I knew I would never be homeless if I said yes to a job that was only going to pay me $12 an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that like, you know, I had, I had that privilege, um, to take that risk. I still, <laughs> I mean, that, that being, that being said, like just clear eyed, I still am carrying five figures of debt from that time of my life, you know, of saying yes to all these really low paying opportunities, but I'm getting closer to getting that down <laughs> anyway. Um, said yes to a million opportunities. Uh, in 2016, I accepted a job with Tom Smead's Productions. And Tom is an incredible man who is just incredibly generous. And he, uh, he promised me that he was going to bring me to the table. And he did, you know, I, I, I was a part of, um, of really the last step of getting bandstand from its out of town production to, to Broadway. It was the first time I raised money for a Broadway show and I was at every meeting. So normally a person in my position in terms of being a co-producer, which is some, some, who is somebody that raises money for a show, um, wouldn't be at every meeting the way that I, I was able to be. And, um, and I was just so, I'm, I remain incredibly grateful to Tom who I still work with now. Um, and so, uh, this is all long winded way to say, so then I just started, I raised money for puffs, which was off Broadway. Um, I continued to do a couple of my projects from my pre Tom days, most specifically a show called Batsu, which is in New York and in Chicago. Um, I am the general manager for that show, which is a live Japanese game show and a lot of fun. <laughs> and, um, 
Tom and I brought A Christmas Carol to Broadway, along with um, our producing partners, Nathan Guillen, Jameson Scott, and Catherine Schreiber in 2019, right after my daughter was born. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, it was a really intense couple of months for me. Whoa. <laughs> and um, that's my journey. And I'm incredibly lucky, incredibly blessed uh, to have had the support of family, my husband, um, and, and people who took risks on me like Tom Smeets. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, that was a really long answer. No, it's wonderful. There's so much to, to comment on in there that as you were talking, there were so many parts of your story that weirdly reminded me of my story. Um, Alyssa, I'm like laughing watching Alyssa now because, um, We've had these similar conversations. So I also went to Columbia. So go Lions. Yes. <laughs> um, and what you were talking about with like the core curriculum there and the way there is structure, but you can kind of make it your own. That resonated so hard for me with my experience at Columbia. So I just, that's amazing and very cool. Um, and also this idea of saying yes to things is a theme that's come up on our podcast a lot. And Alyssa and I had the opportunity uh, a couple months ago to put our put each other in the hot seat and interview each other and our stories. And that was something Alyssa kind of illuminated. She was like, Lauren, that's something you do. You say yes to a lot of things too. So as you were describing that, I was like, there is so much magic in that of saying yes to things and not knowing what's going to happen, um, but trusting those relationships with people that you've worked with before or people that you have maybe just a special feeling about that this project is going to become something greater than your, what you envision it to be. Like, I, I love that you said yes to these things, but also with that little bit of, Oh, wow. Like there is risk involved there. <laughs> there is some privilege there, but also like, Whoa, what am I doing? And I think that's really inspirational for our listeners on this podcast too. Like, why the heck not say yes? Like, what do you have to lose sometimes? Maybe your sanity at points, but you know, <laughs> that's really, really awesome. So in, around that time in 2011, where I was making this big life shift, a friend who uh, started a company called Face Off Unlimited, which I am the general manager of, through, that's the company that produces Batsu. And so I'm the general manager of, just to link it together, is an improv comedy company. And um, he was like, our first thing, the first thing that we're going to do is just start teaching some improv classes. And I didn't really have a ton of interest in, in doing that, but I really loved this friend. I wanted to support his new endeavor. And I so fell in love with the idea of yes. And, um, and I realized that there can be a toxicity to that. Um, if you're not listening to your gut, if you, or if you feel like you can't say no, um, but, and that's also, I met my husband, um, through taking this class as well. My husband is a genius improviser and was, um, a part of the company before they started teaching classes. Um, and, uh, anyway, I, I started taking those, those like basic, you know, improv 101 classes. And it really was a shift in my mind of this yes and idea, um, of, and world building, you know, the, the thing about the thing that the beauty I find of improv is you're doing a scene with somebody and you're literally building a world as you go. And the objective is to, you know, to, to yes. And, but like to, to build it as, and try to get on the same page as the person that you're in the scene with. And there's no wrong answers. And the world is as you both see it and describe it. And, and I just, I found it incredibly beautiful uh, as, and it definitely came at a time of my, it came at a really perfect time in my life where I really needed to think, turn things on its head, think of things in a different way. And um, in my, <laughs> in my far away memoirs that will be published, that, that chapter will definitely, of 2011 will definitely, definitely be called Yes And. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I just love that so much. Um, and I, I also appreciate that you shared that, you know, it 
it isn't it wasn't all glamorous and you know <laughs> because i think that when you're hearing somebody's story it can definitely sound like that and we like to sometimes leave out the parts that are not so great so so thank you for <laughs> for telling us all of that um i think it will warts and all <laughs> yeah um yeah so you also, you started the business of Broadway. And I know that's something that you're really passionate about. Can you tell us what the business of Broadway is, your work with it, and all about it? Yeah, thanks for asking. It is definitely my one of my biggest passions at the moment. Um, I think as a, a virtue of coming from the performing world, being friends with a lot of performers, um, I was finding myself in... Well, always, but specifically by by the time we got to 2019, having a lot of the same conversations with my performer friends or seeing a lot of things on my news feeds from performer friends who there seemed to be a fundamental misunderstanding or lack of understanding of how the business actually operates through no fault of their own, through no fault of, uh, of anyone's uh, or if there is fault to be had, it is not um, through the performers. And I was having conversations a lot uh, with those with folks and trying to teach them, uh, you know, and answering their questions. Like, I, I remember very vividly being on a subway with a Broadway actor um, in a musical. And he was like, well, our show made $650,000 last week. Why? Why are we closing next month? And I was like, that's not nearly enough money. That's not nearly enough enough money. But it was not his fault for not understanding, for not knowing that, because it, you know, we the there's been such a, for lack of a better term, iron curtain, between the business side of things and the artistic side of things, and whether that's there, there's I don't I don't truly believe that there's mal- malice there in a, in a real sense, especially when it comes to the producers of integrity that we all know are actually out there. It comes, I think, from a pra- sometimes just a practical point of view of like, I don't have time to teach everybody or I don't have time to run all these decisions by by folks. Um, and, and artists and m- many artists would prefer to just work on work on the art and not think about the business side of things. And I found myself having conversations with fellow producers, um, specifically Erica Rotstein, who is an amazing, amazing woman. And she was having the same conversations with Rachel Sussman and Dana Lerner. And so, and she was like, we got to do something about this. And so in fall of 2019, also like right after I'd had my daughter and we was producing Christmas Carol, um, you can, you can wear many hats at the same time, folks. Um, uh, Erica, we, we taught our first class uh, producing 101. And what, like the idea is, is to demystify how the business aspect works specifically for those who don't identify themselves as business folks, uh, who, who identify themselves first and foremost, um, on the art artistic side. And that's not to say that we don't, um, cater to people who have ambitions to be producers, we, that we don't cater to people who uh, are fa- purely fans of, of the business. But uh, we specifically wanted to write this curriculum so that you can have a quick under, uh, understanding of the entire structure and ecosystem. And we developed that 101 curriculum and we were just so proud of it. And then the shutdown happened and there was just this incredible greater urgency, uh, we, we, we found sense of urgency, uh, to get this information out there, especially because frankly, the communication that was coming from certain so-called leaders on the business side of things wasn't as transparent as it needed to be. And people just didn't, they just wanted to know what was going on and why. Um, we have a, uh, since that time, we've expanded beyond just our simple 101 course for people who want to deeper dive into things like understanding how the actual creative development process works. People who want to understand um, what it means when a producer is like, hey, do you want to invest in this? And you get a stack of 50 pages of legal documents, what those documents are and what they mean and why. Um, so we've expanded into a deeper curriculum, but at its core is our 101 curriculum. And I'm really, really proud of the work that we do because I think in in two and a half hours with us, plus 
Q&A, which is always the best part of any 101 class. You, um, I think that you get a better understanding of this industry and how it works uh, then, then, you know, there are courses out there that run months long and, um, cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And we ask for a pay what you can, um, model. So, uh, with, with a minimum, uh, model, uh, just to be, uh, honest and, um, transparent. And so, um, we have had hundreds and hundreds of students since the shutdown specifically, Taking it onto Zoom has allowed us to teach people who are across the world, which has been incredibly gratifying when we're going around the Zoom room and we're introducing ourselves and somebody's calling in from Hong Kong or Ireland or Germany. It's incredibly inspirational and, and it means a whole lot to all of us. Um, and we've been teaching at universities as well. We've been brought into a couple of universities over the past few months. And that's, I think, also a place that we find our work incredibly impactful and meaningful for us because we're, we're you know, students who are very bright eyed getting their BFAs. Um, we, we truly believe that they are better served when they understand the actual ecosystem that they're graduating into and who the players are and why. Um, so while Business of Broadway is only one hat that I wear um, uh, and is very much um, could be described as a side hustle, um, it is one of, as I said, one of the most meaningful things that I'm working on at the moment. And um, I'm incredibly grateful to these other women who started this with me and to fellow theater makers and producers and organizations that have seen what we're doing like and you know brought us along uh and recognize uh where we fit in and um have invited us along to do the hard work with them so it's been a really bright a bright spot during a dark time I think that is so amazing that you have created this space, now a virtual space, for people to just have access to information. I mean, transparency and information is number one. And I think that sometimes people think like, oh, I want to do this thing in my life where I think I have an interest in producing. I think I have an interest in directing. I think I have an interest in this other thing, but have no idea how it functions. And it's hard to get that information. You can't just Google how does, what is the ecosystem of a Broadway show? I, I mean, I just think it's so wonderful that you're doing that and you're creating this generation of theater makers that actually understand what, what everything looks like. And, and, you know, I'm sure that you're inspiring people also with your various stories and what they're learning, but also having being able to have access to information can also show people if it isn't right for them, rather than moving through the world and pursuing something that they think they know, but actually have no idea about. So that is just such a long winded roundabout way of saying I really admire all of the work that you're doing with it. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> It's been, it's been, it's been great. You know, one of the things, one of the other, you know, sparks of inspiration uh, for us uh, um, was a recognition, you know, long ago, but when we started in 2018, a recognition that the model doesn't work. It's, un, or that it's unsustainable, frankly, uh, and that um, something needs to be done about it. But we don't, we don't, we couldn't see just ourselves, the four of us being able to make great impactful change without a buy-in from uh, a larger collective. And so we were like, let's, let's get actors and designers and directors and writers and people who work at the advertising agencies and people who work at the press offices and people who are just fans and start to educate them. And now, like I said, we have a collective of hundreds and hundreds. I think I, I, I looked back in December and in just 2020, we had, we had, I think about 600 students. And so it's been even, even more in 2021. 
we have a collective of people who are at the very least armed with knowledge and understanding so that we can all put our, our minds together about how we move forward. But we, we just felt like you can't do that unless you understand how it historically has worked. And that is by no means, and it's, I, I probably should have mentioned this at the very beginning, we, we do not espouse that the industry is working, that we do not, we do not believe that it is sustainable or that it should continue on working the way that it does. But we do have to acknowledge that this is, this is how it currently operates so that we can, we can do better. When you know better, you can do better. Definitely. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, I think it is important to look at like the reality of what's been happening before you can start to kind of dismantle and, and make the changes. I think it's also cool to, in this time when things are on pause in terms of productions really happening um, live, I, I think it's so even more empowering that you're doing this now because I think people are looking. I can speak as a as an artist myself and as a sometimes wearing a producer hat and um, director hat at times. Like people are looking to kind of expand their knowledge of the industry now and looking for a way to stay active and involved. So to have this program, the business of Broadways, it's so good and it's so necessary. Um, and I think it's cool that it is drawing in such a variety of artists too. My, my first thought, I was like, of course it's going to be all actors. I was like, no, wait, wow. Advertising um, managers and, Everything has been so siloed. Everything has been so siloed. And, and like I said, you know, that not to make excuses, but there are some practical reasons why, why that is, you know, a a producer has enough, um, has a lot of people who are expecting, um, them to be able to investor relations in and of itself is a, a full-time job. Um, and, and so investors, you know, coming to a producer to weigh in on how the operation is being run in and of itself is enough. And you start throwing in all uh, everybody on the artistic side, like that can be overwhelming. And I, so I understand why some people are like, I, I'm going to focus on the business stuff. You do the art stuff and, and let me worry about the business stuff. And I do think that for, for producers of integrity, like I said, there are some out there and I think most of us can recognize that there are, um, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was, uh, any sort of malice or, um, uh, poor business practice whatsoever. But I do believe that if we start from this place of knowledge, then, um, uh, we'll all like the product will be better in and of it, uh, in and of itself. You know, one, you know, uh, there's a director that I've worked with quite a bit, um, and she's incredible. And I was working on a project with her in which the lead producer like didn't want her to like know the budget information, uh, any anything about what the budget was going to look like, um, and uh, which is a fairly standard practice. But this director is really savvy and really smart. She might as well be a producer um, in her own way, in terms of not because she's smart, but, <laughs> but because she's very financially minded. She and and if you say to her, you have fifty thousand dollars to accomplish this scene, um, then she's going to make it work for the fifty thousand dollars. If you say to her, well, you can have projections, but um, that's going to eat up a quarter of your entire physical production budget, she's going to be like, okay, I, I got it. Um, I'm willing to sacrifice this other stuff or you know what? I don't need the projections that badly. And so I was just like endlessly frustrated, um, that she wasn't being given the knowledge that she needed. And it was just a like tug of war. She's like, I-, I want projections. Oh, well, we can't, we can't afford it. Well, what can we afford? Well, I can't give you those numbers. And, um, it's, that's a small example of something, but, um, uh, I, I just believe that like we wasted many, many, many hours and days and months. And I wonder what the final product might've looked like had she been able to look at and understand and not be responsible for, of course, but to just understand, you know, what, um, what, what the, what the job description was like, really, literally like what the requirements were to accomplish the job. Yeah. 
that as you were telling that story, I felt myself getting so frustrated. Alyssa and I have talked about this before. Like, I feel like in most other industries, that would just be like a given that you would know a budget that you had to work with. If you were given an assignment, you'd know exactly what the parameters were. And that would be it. But like, yeah, it's that, I had no idea that was a standard practice in our industry that directors aren't often told what a budget is. Like that's that's mind blowing to me. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely frustrating. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That also just blew my mind. But, you know, what has this year been like for you being a theater producer specifically? And in a global pandemic where Broadway has been shut down, where it will continue to be shut down for the foreseeable future, I'm sure it's been so devastating and illuminating. And um, I'm curious about what it's been like for you and also um, what you think it's going to look like coming out of the pandemic and as things start to open up in this very interesting time we're in. Yeah, uh, excellent questions. Uh, I'm going to try to unpack them and not talk for 15 straight minutes. Um, you totally can. <laughs> I have been, I have been incredibly lucky to be able to. Um, I've been, I've been really. It's and again, I have to use the word privilege. Like, there's been some real privilege here that I've been able to, um, you know, work on things that I was passionate about. Like one of the first things that I got to do was Broadway does mother's day last year. Um, and that was a, that was a, like, I, you know, it was for free, but it was an incredible passion project. It was my first mother's day. And so to be able to work on a project like that, um, that spanned uh, like all, all of the, the musicals that had been on Broadway, uh, at the time of the shutdown and, and some that even, um, were about to launch and, um, be able to work with people who I had admired and, and really genuinely was inspired by, uh, I wouldn't have had that opportunity otherwise. Um, there's been a few opportunities to produce some developmental work over the, over this time, um, uh, in the actors equity development workshops, um, uh, I've done a couple of those as a, as a manager. Um, as a manager, I've also done um, like a magic show here or there. I've done a couple of things with Face Off Unlimited, that company I was telling you, the comedy company. And um, and so I've, I've felt incredibly lucky and to be able to stay very busy in that regard. And then, of course, Business of Broadway. But what I will say it, that has been the most illuminating thing um, is, and like I said, uh, I I have a she's uh, going to be 21 months next week. My my daughter, um, she was born um, in July of uh, the end of July of 2019, and I really never stopped working. Um, I mean, like I was, and it, this is not like a condemnation on anybody uh, that I work for or with. I just was like, I want to, I got to keep going. I want to keep going. We had Christmas Carol. I was so excited, and. Um, uh, I was, I was working from home though, you know, um, already then. And, um, uh, but when the shutdown happened, suddenly I was home for every bedtime, every bedtime. And, um, I just realized how many of them I was, I was, I was just so prepared without second thought to miss. And now the couple of times that I have been, um, well, and now there's, there are, there are classes that I teach at night. And so like, I'm not literally able to put her down for bed, but I'm with her up until, you know, uh, up until that moment. Um, but now there have been a couple of things that have taken me out of, uh, I, I'm fully vaccinated. So there've been a couple of things that have taken me out of the home safely, uh, so that I do miss, miss bedtime. And it's actually really hurt in a way that was not hurting in 2019. So for me, there's been, a there have been very important reckonings with our industry uh, that are long, long overdue. But for me, there's been a, a personal reckoning as well of how important it is to me um, to, to be here. And I already like feel guilty about how much I'm going to be leaving her uh, when this is all coming out and how much I'm, how much I'm going to miss. I mean, even, you know, a, a standard theater office is open from 10 to six. So even if I left 
the office exactly at six. I wasn't seeing a show that night or I didn't have a meeting after work, which is very, very often. Even if I left the office exactly at six, got straight on an express train home and everything went correctly, I would be with her for like a half an hour before she had to go to sleep. And I am not, and by the way, I'm not a morning person. So the idea of like waking up with her, you know, earlier, um, I mean, I have to do it anyway, but I'm not at my best. Um, and, um, so there's been this personal reckoning for me of like this family life balance that I really want to try to maintain as we come back. And I think that I'm, I'm hearing that in across a lot of industries, you know, the idea of commuting to me is so unpalatable at the moment. Uh, uh, I know that we literally work in an industry that requires us to be in the same room together. Uh, but to whatever extent I can continue to work um, from home uh, uh, going forward, I'd like to main, I'd like to continue that. Um, uh, I love, oh, I have 10 minutes between things. I'm going to go sit with my kid. Um, or I'm going to hop on my, I'm going to hop on the bike. Like I've been getting into shape the past couple of months, which is something I really had a hard time making time to do. So that that's on, that's on like the, the micro personal level on the macro level. Um, you know, ever since, uh, I knew, I knew what my mission, our mission was with business of Broadway when the shutdown happened, that was, it was all very, very clear. Um, and it was a scary time. And the idea of like, Hey, let's come out of this more knowledgeable and maybe having done some real work on improving the industry um, in terms of equity. And I don't mean actors' equity, I mean like stakeholding um, for when we come out. And it didn't take long for us to realize that that was not going to, that was going to be much easier said than done. But then, of course, George Floyd was murdered. And um, we had this again, long overdue reckoning, um, as an industry, as a nation that is, you know, as of this taping ongoing and frustrating, I know for, um, all, all BIPOC people and, and, and allies. Um, so I am, incredibly inspired by the, uh, again, by, you know, companies or organizations like the theater industry, uh, or the industry standard group, excuse me. Um, uh, and then of course you've got Broadway for racial justice. So I'm incredibly inspired by the work that they are doing. Uh, and, and there are more, I am trying to navigate how much, um, you know, it is our responsibility as, 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 as a white woman, it's my responsibility to, allow these organizations to lead, but, and yet it not put the burden of work on them. And, um, I'm still learning and navigating all of that. I am trying, I, I'm, I'm working very hard to apply what I've been able, what, what I've been so generously taught over the last couple of months, uh, trying to apply it to with fresh eyes to everything that is starting to reawaken right now. Things that went to sleep back last March are reawakening. Some of them are, are, are huge mega, you know, Titanic sized ships. It's really hard to change their course. Uh, it's not to say I'm not, I'm not trying and, and that there isn't work, good work being done there. It's just really interesting. I think um, there was a big musical that had been in the works before the shutdown, it was in development. And recently there was an announcement made about its future tra trajectory. And um, there was some uproar within our, and I, and I think we have to take with a, we have to recognize that there was uproar within our community. You know, the greater public is at large probably saw nothing about it, but within our community of so basically the last year meant nothing. It was nothing. You're just going to continue on. Um, and so uh, I am very, very adamantly against anything like that in the work that I'm a part of, whether I'm a part of a leader in that or a cog who's been hired in it. And, um, and by the way, like I am both on many things um, or I am one or the other on many, many things. One thing people don't realize about producers is that it's really hard to make money as a producer. <laughs> I make, you know, I make my money as a general manager. 
so sometimes I'm hired to do things and I'm not the decision maker at the end of the day. Um, and, but I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses here. Uh, I'm, uh, and, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at projects, whether I'm a manager or a producer on with the same intensely anti-racist, uh, worldview that I, as I said, have been so generously given in the last year from our, from our, our BIPOC compatriots for lack of a better word. Thank yeah. You. Um, yeah. Thank you for answering that so beautifully. Yeah. I feel like we always have what Alyssa and I call real talk on this podcast. And that was, thank you for, for that real talk because there's so, it's really complex um, the work that you do as a producer. And yeah, we didn't even really touch on the work of what you're doing as a general manager, but that, yeah, you're, the way you articulated it just now made me realize how how complicated that is. Sometimes you are in those positions of leadership and power to make these decisions. Um, and then sometimes you're working under maybe others who are making those decisions. So it's it's a difficult position, I imagine, to be in. Like, Maybe there's moments you're like, I wish I had more of the reins in this project. Um, yeah. And then other times where you're, there's very much a lack of control. Yeah. That's right. Um, and it's not an excuse, right? Like it's, it, and it, it shouldn't be. We can bring integrity and, um, and anti-racism principles to everything that we do day in and day out. And also recognize that we do have bills to pay and mouths to feed. Um, and so there is a balance. You know, I try. I, I've been given some great advice by people who are out there doing the work saying, like, do something, do something every day. Do like just try to do one thing every day. And um, and and that's and knowing that that you know, as long as I'm continuing to push the boulder up the hill, um, is, is something is, is a helpful, maybe healthy way of processing when sometimes it's very easy to feel like the problem is bigger than too big and you can't do, you can't do anything. Um, you can't do enough and the problem is too big and you literally can't do enough, but if you're doing something, um, it is, it is almost certainly better than doing nothing. And, to paraphrase um, something, this uh, a woman named Joan Carpenter, who I think is just remarkable. She talks about empathy, and I've taken it and sort of repurposed it uh, to like everything in my life. Where she's like, "I promise you, there's not a day that your empathy will um, will be wasted. You know that there's not a day that you will regret showing empathy." And I think that that is such a beautiful, beautiful uh, way to approach the world. I've also been applying it though too many things. Like, I promise you're never going to regret being anti-racist. <laughs> you know, there's never a day that you're going to regret putting your energy there. And so, um, uh, I thank Joanna for, uh, for inspiring me, uh, with mindsets like that. Yeah. And I think something else crucial to what you've talked about in a lot of our conversation too, is, is also having the support of other people that you trust to hold yourself accountable. Like the, the women that you're working with, with the um, business Broadway. Um, also, by the way, I don't know if we've even talked about this, but like the fact that it's four women, right. Doing the business abroad, like that is so cool to yeah. me too. Talking about changes within our industry, having more women powered movements is something that makes me very happy and excited. Um, and a whole other, that could be a whole other conversation uh, of gender equality in our business, but yes. So I think that's, that's also part of, yeah, uh, of making <laughs> these changes slowly starting to happen. It's, we can't do it alone. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're really proud of the fact that we're, that we're for quote unquote early career women um, because in, in, this industry, your mid-career when you're in your seventies. Um, but we, um, we, uh, cause nobody retires. Um, uh, but, uh, we're very proud of, uh, the fact that we are 
you know, women led and women fronted, but we are also very cognizant of the fact that we are four white women. And, um, and it is, it is, it very much is something that is, uh, that we acknowledge, uh, that we, um, are doing what we can to uplift, um, our, uh, organizations, groups, people that are doing similar work. We don't want to, um, overstep. We do think that we, uh, we have found that we can run parallel to these groups and support the work that they're doing and um, have and have really great relationships with many of them. And um, uh, as my as my colleague Erica says so eloquently, you know, just what we're what we're trying to do is take the information that we have been pr- privileged in our position as white women to amass uh, over the. Uh, you know, the years that we've all been working, I mean, for some, I mean, I, I have been a producer now officially for over 11, you know, for 10, over 10 years. And, and, and so the decades that we as a group have amassed, um, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're doing work of condensing it down to making it digestible and palatable and understandable for anybody who wants it. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And thank you for chatting with us. It has been so wonderful to hear your story and to hear about all of the different hats you wear. I feel like we didn't even touch on everything that you're doing. And it's all so amazing and so inspiring. And your integrity is so inspiring. I knew as soon as I saw you um, in an act in a a Zoom call with an actor agents with our other guest, Zachary Spiegel, that we had to have you on the podcast once we started recording again. So I'm so thrilled that you joined us today. And um, thank you for all of your amazing work and for for sharing with us. Well, thank you. You're doing amazing work as well. I'm And I'm flattered and honored to be here with you both today and talking about things that as I hope anybody can tell I am very passionate about. Yes, that absolutely comes through, even across <laughs> the computer screen and microphones. And yeah, echoing everything Alyssa just said, thank you so much. That was truly, truly eye-opening hearing your story. Thank you so much for listening. We always love hearing from you. You can email us at positivecreativitypodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at positivecreativitypodcast. And for more info on our guest today, please view the show notes. Join us next time on Positive Creativity Podcast.